We pick up our New Testament passage today in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. Since we have a high priest, now that's, that's an important thought there. Since, because we have a high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us hold fast our confession. All right, now, since we have a high priest who's passed through the heavens, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. All right, so Jesus was able to sin, but did not. Now, now that's an important thing to remember. Jesus was tempted. There was a capability to sin. He, he was fully God, yet fully man. He came as the second Adam. He was not controlled by the power of sin, but he had the ability to sin. Now, in every respect, there is no temptation that takes you that didn't touch Jesus too. I mean, and please, folks, there is not a temptation in this world, no matter how crass you can think of, that that temptation didn't come against Jesus too. In every respect has been tempted as we are yet, read for the highlight, yet without sin. Now, this is why Jesus can sympathize with us. This is why Jesus understands our weaknesses. Let us then. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. What a mouthful. All right. Because we have a high priest, the, the, the source of our confidence is this high priest, all right, who's able to sympathize with our weaknesses, who's been tempted in every respect as we. That gives us confidence. He understands. Therefore, we can draw near. And what do we draw near to? A throne of grace, not a throne of judgment, a throne of grace. And what do we receive at the throne of grace? We receive mercy. And we find grace. So we receive, and notice there's a difference there. We receive mercy at the throne of grace. And we find grace. We receive mercy and we find grace. Now, that's a sermon in itself. To help, all right, the purpose of all of this, the purpose of receiving mercy and finding grace is to help us when the occasion, let's just say when, in the time of need. Now, forgive me, but some of you right now are in a time of need. All right, you are in a time of need right now. Jesus has been tempted in everything just like you are. He understands. He understands. He sympathizes. So come to the throne of grace right now this morning. Don't tell God just... You know, you, you, you just don't understand. No, he does understand. Come to the throne of grace. Receive mercy. Find grace in this your time of need. Ah, that's just, that's just beautiful stuff. For Chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest chosen among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts, and sacrifices to sin, all right? This is the purpose of a priest. Purpose of the priesthood. 
Old Testament laws, Old Testament priesthood. Chosen among men, all right, so he's got to be a man, appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. Not, not in relation to politics or anything else, in relation to God. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward sense he himself is beset with their weaknesses. Right? Hey, Jesus said, or God said, I, I chose these priests among the, the people in the Old Testament uh, so that they understood what the people were going through and they can be gentle with those that are ignorant and wayward. Because of this, he is obligated because of what? Because he is also offset with weaknesses, all right? Because he's got this same thing. Because he's offset with those weaknesses. He's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sin, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. All right, so uh, no self-called priests in the, Old, in the Old Testament. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest but was appointed by him who said, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, this order of Melchizedek is a very, very strong thought. Jesus was appointed a priest after the order of Melchizedek, not after the order of Aaron. Now, you go back and you study Melchizedek in Genesis, all right? He was a king of Jerusalem. He's called the Prince of Peace. He has no father. He has no mother. He is eternal. Okay. Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. In fact, Jesus was, or is, or however you want to say it. My brain's not that big this morning. Jesus is Melchizedek. Melchizedek is Jesus. It was Jesus, pre-incarnate, ruler of Jerusalem, high priest of God, no father, no mother, who received Abraham's tithe. In the days of the flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. So in the days of his flesh, Jesus was in the physical body with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard, here's a key, because of his reverence, because of his respect. Because of his respect for God, he was heard. Loud cries and tears. You, you think, uh, example would be the garden. As he wept upon that stone, and every year when we go to Israel, we walk into a, the church of all nations, and we see that stone in the garden of Gethsemane that Jesus threw himself on and wept with loud cries and tears. And he was heard, not because of his tears. He was heard not because of his loud cries. He was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, <laughs> no, nobody likes this passage. But you're going to have to understand, you don't learn obedience in the good days. You're just, yeah, fine, let's go along. But you learn obedience through what you suffer when you you pay a price to obey.
you know, young people, obeying your family, obeying your parents when nobody's pressuring you is easy. But when your barkata starts making fun of you and mocking you for obeying, that's when you're learning. You're learning real obedience. It's easy to obey God until your friends start mocking you. Oh, you're still a virgin. Ho, 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 ho. You know, oh, you don't drink. Ho, ho, ho. I can remember the big thing when, when I was a young man about drinking. I mean, this was this is like seventh and eighth grade. And they would say, oh, you've got no hair on your chest yet. And as a young boy, I was very proud. I had a little tiny tuft of hair right there now. And I, no, I got hair on my chest. Well, you know, if you're not a man, if you don't drink. Well, you know what? The world will mock you. Persecution will come against you. I mean, please, brothers and sisters, what would happen if the government outlawed Christianity? Would you still be a Christian? What would happen if the government said, you can never go to church again. This is not about COVID-19. We've just decided there will be no Christianity in the Philippines again. Would you still be a Christian? Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. <laughs> Jesus is the source of eternal salvation. I like that. To all who obey him. Jesus became the source by obedience. We receive salvation by obedience. And being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you are dull of hearing. Wow. Okay. What makes preaching, teaching, hard? You have become dull of hearing. Christians, believers, became dull of hearing. You know, my dad used to have this saying that he said to me. He said, David, now track with me. Now, what he was talking about is he was about to take me on a on a little philosophical or intellectual journey or knowledge journey. And he wanted me to dial in. He said, now track with me, David, track with me. And he was taking me on a logic journey. Track with me, David. And as a young man, I didn't quite understand how important it was to dial in, to sharpen your ears. But he said, you know what? It's hard to explain since you are dull of hearing. And that, that is the thought that you, you need to just begin to look at in life and begin to say, God, I don't want to be dull in hearing. I, I, want, to, I, I want to zone in. I want to, I want to learn to track with the scriptures. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the ori of God. You need milk, not solid food. All right. So now we see, and this is important, the characteristics of dull hearing. They should be teachers, but they need somebody to teach them again. The basic principles of the oracles of God. You know, there are many Christians. They never grow. Now, if you take a, a three-year-old child or a four-year-old child, and they're having trouble eating with spoon and fork, 
that's kind of cute and everybody smiles and laughs. But if, if you take a 25-year-old young man and he still hasn't figured out how to use spoon and fork and he still hasn't figured out how to use the toilet by himself, that's not funny anymore. Something's wrong there. There are so many Christians today. They've never grown at the rate and at the, at the speed and capacity that they should have. They're just happy to be saved and, and stay a baby. But brothers and sisters, you've got to work out your own salvation. You know, you, you can't always blame preachers for your lack of spiritual growth. I mean, sometimes that is the truth. But, you know, at some point, you've got to take responsibility for your own spiritual growth and get into the Word of God every day and study every day. How can you teach others when you have to be taught the basic principles, when you have to have milk, not solid food? Now, he says, now that everyone who lives on the milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Now notice, lives on milk. A little bit of milk in your coffee is good, but you got to know how to chew. You got to know how to eat pancit. You got to know how to eat some, eat some nice lechon. You got to know how to eat some nice lechon kawali dipped in curry curry sauce. I mean, you, you've got to know how to eat these things. You got to know how to chew. But he said, if you live on milk, yeah, a little milk in your coffee is fine. A little milk frozen and mixed up and made into ice cream is fine. But you don't live on milk. You're going to have to live on the meat of the word. Everyone who lives on is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. These are perpetual spiritual babies. They never grow up. But solid food is for the mature. Okay, you got to mature a little bit to chew on solid food. You got to have some teeth. You got to grow a little bit. For those who have their powers of discernment trained, now notice the word trained, by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You know, there are so many Christians today, you talk to them about you shouldn't be doing that. And they cannot distinguish good from evil. They, they and, and you begin to say that now that's not a good thing to be doing. They can't distinguish right from wrong because their powers of discernment have not been trained by constant practice. Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, because of what we've just seen, all right, because of all we've just seen, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and, and of faith toward God, and of instructions about washings, laying out of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. And this will do if God permits. All right, so this is called the milk. The milk of the word is the doctrines of repentance. Repentance from sin. That's baby food. That's milk. Faith, forgive me, but the doctrines of faith are baby food. Instructions about washings. That's baby food, getting rid of all those traditions and stuff from our lives. The doctrine of laying out of hands, impartation of the Holy Spirit, healing. That's baby food. The resurrection of the dead. That's the last things. Prophecy. That's baby food. Eternal judgment. That's prophecy. That's baby food. Brothers and sisters, there's so much to learn in the word of God. And Christianity wants to just stay down here in the milk bowl. 
We have to press on to maturity. All right, let's open up our hearts now and spend some more time in worship. The Savior rescued me Without His precious love likeness of God's Son. I have this blessed assurance since the Savior rescued me. Without His precious love, where would I be? solid rock to stay and now i'm walking with my savior and i'm fighting a good fight because of jesus i can truly
pick me up and turn my world around. Yes, he did. The the Lord. He washed me with his precious love. The the Lord. He filled my heart with hope and love. He raised me. He kept me. He kept me. If it had not been for the goodness of you saved me. we turn our attention now to Jeremiah chapter 51, we're going to pick up with verse 49. But beloved, let us remind ourselves, the Bible teaches us that all these things here in the Old Testament are written to us for our example. They're things that we learn from. And honestly, as you read through some of this, and yeah, some of it's not pleasant to read through because you're going, whoa, the judgment. But you also see the great mercy. You, You see the great mercy. You see the grace of God through here. You see the long-suffering and the patience of God. But one of the things you do is you also learn the fear of God. And by fear, I'm not talking about taco. I'm talking about respect. You learn respect for God because you realize God is a God of love, but he's also a holy God and a just God. Let's pick up now Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 49. Babylon must fall for the slain of Israel, just as for Babylon have fallen the slain of all the earth. All right, this is reaping. He said, Babylon must fall. Look at at what they did to Israel. You who have escaped from the sword, go. Do not stand still. Remember the Lord from far away and let Jerusalem come into your mind. (laughs) Remember the Lord. And let Jerusalem come into your mind. In other words, go home. We are put to shame, for we have heard reproach. Dishonor has covered our face, for foreigners have come into the holy places of the Lord's house. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will execute judgment on her images. And through all her land, the wounded shall groan. Though Babylon should mount up to heaven, though she should fortify her strong height, Yet destroyers would come from me against her, declares the Lord. Notice would come from me. A voice, a cry from Babylon, the noise of great destruction from the land of the Chaldeans. For the Lord is laying Babylon waste and stilling her mighty voice. Their waves roar like mighty waters, the noise of their voice is raised. For a destroyer has come upon her, upon Babylon. Her warriors are taken, their bows are broken in pieces. For the Lord is a God of recompense. He will surely repay. Wow. Remember, God is a God of recompense. You got to remember, God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. God is a God of recompense. He's a, and this is some of the things you need to make a list of. God's a God of mercy. 
God's a God of grace. God's a God of recompense. You just, this is the character of God. I shall make drunk her officials and her wise men, her governors, her commanders, and her warriors. They shall sleep a perpetual sleep and not wake, declares the Lord, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the broad wall of Babylon shall be leveled to the ground and her high gate shall be burned with fire. The peoples labor for nothing. The nations weary themselves only for fire. The word that Jeremiah the prophet commanded Sariah, the son of Neriah, the son of Maseiah, when he went up with Zedekiah, king of Judah, to Babylon in the fourth year of his reign, Sariah was the quartermaster. Jeremiah wrote in a book all the disaster that would come upon Babylon, all these words that are written concerning Babylon. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, when you come to Babylon, see that you read all these words. They needed to be spoken over the city. There's a prophetic utterance over the city. And say, O Lord, you have said nothing, you have said concerning this place that you will cut it off, so that nothing will dwell in it, neither man nor beast, and it shall be desolate forever. Forever. Notice how many times have I brought up to you that it was going to be laid waste and never lived in again. And to this day, Babylon has never been rebuilt. Jerusalem remains, but Babylon has never been rebuilt. When you finish reading this book, tie a stone to it and cast it into the midst of the Euphrates and say, thus shall Babylon sink to rise no more, to rise no more. Because of the disaster that I am bringing upon her, they shall become exhausted. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. Permanent destruction to the city of Babylon. Chapter 52, verse 1. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Joachim had done. And you just want to go, dude, why? When you've seen all the devastation because of the sins and you saw the prophetic utterances that God spoke through Jeremiah come true, why? Okay, just The stubbornness of sin sometimes is just amazing. For because of the anger of the Lord, things came to a point in Jerusalem, Judah, that he cast them out of his presence, and Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. In the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege against it and built siege works all around it. So the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. Now notice, the tenth month, the ninth year, until the eleventh year. So two years. Do you have any idea the starvation and the suffering? of an ancient city sieged for two years. Jerusalem was a powerful fortification, but there's no food that can get in. Can you imagine the suffering for two years? On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then a breach was made in the city, and all the men of war fled and went out from the city by night by way of the gate between the two walls by the king's garden, while the Chaldeans were around the city, and they went in the direction of the Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. 
Now, the plains of Jericho. Now, think with me. Come down from Jerusalem, down to the Dead Sea. Do you remember that long trip down the mountain if you've been to Israel with us? If you're coming down from Jerusalem, off on the left side, we said that's where Jericho is. So in those plains there, but in between Jericho and the Dead Sea, that's where this happened. And all his army was scattered from him. Then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah in the land of Hamath, and he passed sentence on him. The king of Babylon slaughtered the kings of Zedekiah before his eyes and also slaughtered all the officials of Judah and Riblah. And he put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him in chains, and the king of Babylon took him to Babylon and put him in prison to the day of his death. In other words, you kill all my kids in front of me, so the last thing I can ever remember seeing is the death of my children. Then he puts out the eyeballs. In the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, that was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the bodyguard who served the king of Babylon, entered Jerusalem. So on the fifth month, the tenth day of the month, the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar. And he burned, I remember earlier when we saw the prophecies about the destruction of Babylon because of what they'd done to the temple of God. This is why he burned the house of God and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem, every great house he burned down. He burned down the house of God. And judgment came upon Babylon for that. All the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down all the walls around Jerusalem. And Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive some of the poorest of the people, and the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had gathered to the king of Babylon, together with the rest of the artisans. But Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. This is how you keep a land poor. You keep a land poor by only letting the masa remain, taking out all the intelligentsia, all the nobility, all the educated, all the business people, and leave the poorest of the land just to be the master to work the land. That's how you keep a nation in poverty. And the pillars of bronze that were in the house of God, and the stands of the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried all the bronze to Babylon. These are all part of God's house. They stole what belonged in God's house. And you wonder why they had such devastation. Never mess with God's house, okay? And they took away the pots, the shovels, the stuffers, the basins, the dishes, for instance, the vessels of bronze used in the temple service. Again, they stole from God's house. They should have never touched God's house. And the small bowls, the fire pans, the bases, the pots, the lampstands, the dishes, for instance, the bowls for drink offering, what was of gold. The captain of the guard took away his gold or what was silver as silver. As for the two pillars, the one seed, the twelve bronze that were under the sea, the stands which Solomon the king had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these was beyond weight. This is, there was nothing left of Solomon's temple. So when we talk about the rebuilding of the, of the temple, we're talking about Herod's temple now. We talk about the second temple period. This is the end of the first temple period. As for the pillars, the height of one pillar was 18 cubits, the circumference was 12 cubits, its thickness was four fingers, but, and it was hollow. On the capital was 
capital of bronze, the height of the capital was five cubits. A network of pomegranates, all of bronze, were around the capital. And the second pillar had the same with pomegranates. There were 96 pomegranates on the sides. All the pomegranates were 100 upon the network all around. Everything had been intact until this point. Everything that Solomon had built, all those hundreds of years, has been intact. Nobody stole these things from the house of God until Nebuchadnezzar. And from the city, he took an officer who had been commander of the men of war and seven men of the king's council who were found in the city and a secretary of the commander of the army who mustered the people of the land and 60 men of the people of the land who were found in the midst of the city. And Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took them and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And the king struck them down and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. So Judah was taken into exile out of its land. This is the number of people whom Nebuchadnezzar carried away in captive in the seventh year, 3,023 Judeans. In the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar, he carried away from, the, from Jerusalem 832 persons. In the 23rd year of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, carried away captive of the Judeans 745 persons. All the persons were 4,600. In the 27th year of the exile of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 25th day of the month, evil Mardok, the king of Babylon, in the year that he became king, lifted up the head of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. Here's the mercy of God. And he spoke kindly to him, there's favor, and gave him a seat above the seat of the kings who were with him in Babylon. And Jehoiakim put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily need until the day of his death, as long as he lived. Here is the mercy of God. Now, as we finish this out, beloved, I want you to see all that Solomon had built is gone. As the people of Israel began their disobedience and began their sin, first, the gold is stripped from the temple. All the treasures are stripped, and the gold is stripped from the walls. And now at the final loss, the temple is completely devastated. The things that are almost impossible to steal, like the bronze pillars and things, all those things are cut up in pieces and stolen, and there is nothing left of Solomon's temple. This was a sad, sad day for the people of Israel. But remember, they had even brought idolatry into this temple. This thing is leveled. But God held the people who destroyed God's house accountable, as we read the other day. Because of what they had done to God's house, he completely wiped out the city, and Babylon has never again been rebuilt. All right. There's some strong stuff in there, but you learn a respect for God. You learn that God is a God of recompense. That's something to keep in our hearts. His character has never changed. I, the Lord, changed not, he says. All right, so tonight we're going to get back into heirs of God. We're going to try to finish all that up tonight. We've got some beautiful things in there to learn. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock sharp.